I have been preaching this summer mostly from the book of Ephesians, the letter to the church at Ephesus, written by Paul to a particular church at a particular time, dealing with particular issues. And to be honest, I've never really preached through this book as I have this summer, and I have found myself drawn to this letter in new ways. Because the particular issues of the church at Ephesus, it turns out, are also the particular issues of the church at Riverside. This morning's text is no exception to that. It comes from the fifth chapter, verses 15 through 20. And in this text, Paul helps us distinguish between the ways of wisdom and the ways of foolishness. May God up open up to us a new understanding of this word. Be careful then how you live, he writes, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled instead with the Holy Spirit. As you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, singing and making melody to the Lord in your hearts, giving thanks to God the Father at all times and for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Twenty-nine, maybe eight years ago in my first church in Charlotte, I was uh, an associate pastor, and I remember a Wednesday morning roundtable class, much like the one we have here, taught by the pastor. All there were women. It was a women's roundtable class, and we were discussing the issue of truth specifically ultimate truth as it is revealed either through scripture or through the church or through the power of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And there were 30 women or so around this table and we were all over the map about truth. And I noticed an older woman there that we all knew to be a wise woman who had not said anything during this 30-minute conversation And when it was clear that we sort of all backed ourselves into a corner, she raised her hand and timidly asked if she could say something. And the pastor acknowledged her and said, please. She said, recently I have been having a continuous dream at night. Uh, The first one happened several months ago, and in the dream I had a revelation of what the ultimate truth about God and the meaning of life was all about. And then when I woke the next morning, I had forgotten it. But then several weeks later, I had the same dream, and I knew it to be true in my dream, but again, when I woke the next morning, it had left me. So she said, I resolved to write 
put a piece of paper and pencil beside my bedside and, and to wake myself if it happened again. And I would write the note down on the paper, go back to sleep, and then I would have it in the morning. And sure enough, she said, about a week ago, I had this same dream about the ultimate truth about God and the meaning of life. And I, I did wake up, and I wrote it down, and I went back to sleep. The next morning, I, I turned on the light beside my bed. I, I jumped out of bed, and I hastily grabbed my note to see what it was, and this is what it said. We're all by then sitting on the edge of our seat. She said, shoes come in various sizes. Of course, we all howled. Indeed, she was a wise woman. And in the story she told, we were reminded that when it comes to knowing the ultimate truth about God and the meaning of life, one size does not fit all. And that the answer to that question is so far from us that any attempt comes across as being as trite as shoes come in various sizes. A wise woman she was. So what is wisdom? Interestingly, the Bible uh, explains wisdom, which in Greek, by the word, by the way, comes from the word Sophia, which is a feminine word, and the root of the word philosophy. A philosopher is a lover of wisdom. In Proverbs, which is a book of wisdom writings, it says clearly in chapter 9, verses 1 through 12, Wisdom has built her house. She's feminine. Wisdom has built her house, and she has hewn seven pillars. She has slaughtered her animals, and she has mixed her wine. She has set her table and she has sent out her servant girls. She calls from the highest places in town. You that are foolish, turn in here. To those without sense, she says, Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Lay aside immaturity. Live and walk in the way of wisdom and insight. And what is insight? In the 10th verse, she makes it clear, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. In the Bible and in life, wisdom, which is the opposite of foolishness, is one of the primary virtues that unfortunately fewer and fewer people seem to have. However, as I think about this, when it comes to a legacy, how much better it could be if it included something about one's wisdom. Wisdom, unlike wealth and unlike knowledge and unlike success, does not come to us just because we want it or because we work hard for it. There are plenty of smart wealthy, successful people who have about as much wisdom as a snail. And just as there are many seemingly uneducated and poor 
people who have more wisdom than an owl. Wisdom begins, as Proverbs says, with the fear of the Lord, which means a deep abiding trust and reverence for God, which means also for us a posture of humility, a posture of being on our knees in reverence, acknowledging our own limitations while giving God God's due. It is being willing to see our imperfections, and therefore we are more compassionate with the imperfections of others. It is about seeing the bigger picture than our own little narcissistic worldview. It is about seeing the world and our place in it in a much larger perspective than any particular moment in time. And wisdom, according to Proverbs, is also playful. Wisdom dances and sings. Wisdom doesn't take herself quite so seriously as we Presbyterians do. And wisdom is always willing to learn and grow. The sense of humility and reverence and self-reflection seems, at least to me, to be lacking these days in more and more self-righteous fanatic fools who fight to have it only their way. As Bertrand Russell, the great American philosopher, said, the whole problem with the world is that fools and fanatics are always so certain of themselves and wiser people so full of doubts. Think about the wise people you know. Aren't they always learning and changing, which means if there is always something new to learn, then you take seriously what you think you know now, less seriously. To be honest, this is my confession, I found myself in writing this sermon, uh, a a sense of self-consciousness, wanting to and wondering how I could write a wise sermon for you so that you would walk away and say, oh, what a wise preacher he is. So much for humility. Wise people don't consciously try to be wise. They just are, like the Apostle Paul. In this morning's passage from Ephesians, Paul offers wisdom to a church that, as I said, is a a lot like Riverside dealing with diversity and some conflict about what is right and wrong in a world with seemingly infinite options. Let's break it down, according to this passage. It begins, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Paul is urging them and us to pay attention to the way that we live our lives and go through our days, using the time we have to good use, knowing, as wise people do, that time is finite and limited. Fools live as if time is endless. All the time in the world so that what we do doesn't seem to matter. The wise save for retirement. The foolish think that 
that time will never come. The wise exercise, the foolish think they will never age. The wise keep learning, the foolish think there is nothing new to learn under the sun. The wise know that the best things come to those who wait. Fools believe in instant gratification. When Paul reminded them to be careful of their time because the days were evil, they were indeed evil. The Roman Empire controlled and manipulated all of their freedom. But the days are still evil, you see. The empire that we are controlled by now is the empire of consumerism. The slavery it imposes on each of us is real. Each day is as full of as many dark distractions now as then, and we foolish people fill up our days with those distractions, chasing every possible thing that promises happiness, the next house or car or boat or the next self-help book, the next guru or preacher or yoga instructor or academic degree or more gigabytes of information. Not, you see, for its own sake, but as a means to an end. And the end is usually one that hopes to have more and more of whatever it is to consume the next day. My daughter Megan, who is in Palo Alto working at the Stanford School of Psychology uh, as a research uh, manager was here last week, and I asked her what Palo Alto was like. And she said that it is full of the most intelligent, knowledgeable, and wealthy people she has ever experienced in one place. And, she said, the most foolish. This is her take on it. They are consumed with their own need to succeed, she said. They are running crazy trying to keep up with an ever-increasing demand for perfection, and they are, it seems to me at least, deeply troubled and most unhappy. Psychiatrist friend of hers said that everyone she knows there and has met is, well, like the rest of us, neurotic, depressed, and exhausted, yet they force themselves to look like they are completely happy. This is knowledge and success, but it is not wisdom. It is said that wisdom is lost on the young, that the young are prone to foolishness, but hopefully when we grow up and gain enough experience and reflect on that experience, usually learning the hard way, then we gain wisdom instead of living a foolish life. But I have seen many young people who are wise, and many old people who are not. But one thing is true, and that is that wisdom does come with reflection. We must slow down enough to reflect on our lives. We must learn to look back as well as look forward. Usually we don't, of course, unless we are dragged there by circumstances like disease or despair or depression or divorce or failure or retirement or loss. But if we find ourselves there, then in deep 
soulful reflection, we might just find a modicum or two of wisdom. Once had an old minister friend of mine say that all the successful men that he had known, when they came to the end of their lives, not one of them ever said, I regret that I did not work more. Instead, almost unanimously, it was the same variation on the theme. I regret that I didn't pay more attention to my family, that I didn't travel more, that I didn't spend more time enjoying life. So why didn't they? Why did they wait till the end of their days before they came to that realization? Because they were too busy to think about it. A number of years ago, a well-known speech writer, excuse me, sports writer named Mitch Album, you've read the book, wrote that little book called Tuesdays with Moray. It was about the Tuesdays that Album spent with his favorite professor, uh, college professor, Moray Schwartz, who was dying of Lou Gehrig's disease. In one conversation about what Album would do if he had only one day left to live, Moray says, Our culture doesn't encourage us to think about such ultimate things until you're about ready to die. So we're we're so wrapped up in egotistical things, career, family, having enough money, meeting the mortgage, getting a new car, fixing the radiator when it's broken. We're involved in trillions of little acts just to keep going. So we don't get in the habit of standing back and looking at our lives and saying, is this all? Is this all I want? Is something missing? He paused and said to Album, Mitch, you need someone to probe you in that direction. (laughs) Don't we all? Be careful then how you live, Paul says, not as unwise and foolish, but as the wise. According to the Bible, wise people fill up their days differently. Knowing we are loved by God, there is nothing we can do about it. God loves us, and there is nothing we can do about it. We cannot achieve it, earn it, buy it, hold it. It is just there. Therefore, our self-worth is determined by the love of God made clear to us in Christ. Knowing that, we have a new life experience. The end is already with us. God's love and salvation already given This new life is already with us now. In receiving this, we can now live our days out of this new life proactively, doing the will of God rather than my own. That's Paul's word. He makes it clear earlier in Ephesians that the point of living this new life in Jesus Christ is to do the will of God. And he makes it clear earlier in Ephesians that what the will of God is about is peace and unity and reconciliation for all creation. One body, Jew, Greek, evangelical, mainline, male, female, gay, straight, black, white, slave, free, conservative, liberal, one body together. Paul reminds us that to live wisely is to live out of this long-term goal 
the Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of Effective People, live with the long-term goal in mind. This is the goal, the unity of all things. The second thing Paul says, and I promise you it won't go on as long as the first, is that he cautions us not to live a life of debauchery and drunkenness. This is wise advice, whether Christian or not. I don't have to tell you how much addiction has cost the peace and joy and security of every single family that I know about. Every family is affected by it in some way. Consumption is one thing. Drunkenness is something else entirely. Jesus consumed, everyone did. The water was sketch. It was full of bacteria. Mostly they drank wine. But not as a fool did he consume. There was a young man in my fraternity house way back named John who was wise beyond his years. His long-term goal was to go to medical school. And in pursuit of that goal, he made wise choices. Every time the fraternity would have a party, John would attend. He would say hello to everyone. He might have one beer. Then he would excuse himself and go back to his studies. Looking back on that, John was one of the most well-rounded, happiest, neatest people I knew, unlike the rest of us who thought our happiness was going to come at the end of the party. Knowing something does not necessarily change our mind to live wisely. We all knew better, yet. It's just not alcohol that is our addiction. As I said, we are intoxicated with the need for instant gratification, entertainment, information, security, wealth, success, and a media whose job it is to stir things up and get us all scared and afraid knowing that that will bring us back because fear is a drug. It is emotional reactivity fed by our media and politicians, and it's as much a drug as Jack Daniels is, and a whole lot more insidious, whether it's Fox News or CNBC. Fools try to fill themselves up with this stuff, the wrong kind of spirits, but Paul says the only spirit that will fill us up is the Holy Spirit. Finally, I know, finally, Paul tells the church that wise people don't go it alone, but rather in community. For two straight weeks, we have sat before people who have been to Haiti and Kenya to show us what real community and singing songs of thanksgiving and praise are all about. And at every time they gathered together, the whole community would come out and sing and dance for them. This is exactly what Paul is talking about in singing songs of praise and thanksgiving. Then he says to be thankful and grateful for all things. All things? Two earmarks of the wise people I know is that they grow closer in community, more compassionate and closer to others and that they can find something to be grateful for in every circumstance, every circumstance. When they look back on terrible and tragic things in their life, they can find something, many things, in fact, to be grateful for. When they are in a hard place, they immediately start looking for things to give thanks for. Every day they wake up and find someone 
some way to give thanks to God. Praise and gratitude, it seems, go hand in hand with wisdom. We get our wisdom now from Hollywood. Characters like Mr. Miyagi, remember him, and in The Karate Kid, or Obi-Wan Kenobi in Star Wars or Yoda, or Dumbledore in Harry Potter, or Gandalf in The Lord of the Rings, old bearded male, by the way, sages with trite wisdom light sayings, usually Buddha-like, given to the hero to keep him on his journey to become a Jedi Knight. That's our wisdom these days. Maybe it's just that it's so missing in our own lives that we turn to these Hollywood personas. Wise politicians, it seems, are hard to find, and they don't get reelected because they stay away from emotional reactivity and fear tactics and impulsive behavior. The proverb says, a fool gives full vent to his emotions, but a wise man keeps himself under control. Ouch. Or maybe wise people just don't run anymore. They're wise enough to know better. And maybe they shouldn't be running. As the wise George Washington said, you don't run for office, you stand for office, which is a very wise saying about how we should look at that post. I can fill your heads with all kinds of wisdom sayings from the Bible and the Internet, but the wise thing to do is to shut up and sit down so that we can sing songs and give thanks to God in all things. But as I said, I'm not always so wise. So let me just say one more thing. Three things I want to leave you with. Little wisdom sayings. They're not mine. I found them. The first is never miss an opportunity to make others happy, even if you have to leave them alone to do it. Yes, you can laugh. Grant me the serenity to accept the people I cannot change, the courage to change the one I can, and the wisdom to know it's me. And just remember there is a wrong way and a right way to do everything, and the wrong way is to keep trying to make everybody else do it the right way. Amen. Finally.